Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Top 5 at 5. I'm Catherine Murray, I think, as you know, and uh, i Joel Kalina on with us today. He is the head of tech and media trading over at Wedbush Securities, um, which is a U.S. investment firm. Um, Joel, you know, so A, great to have you. Thank you for taking the time. Um, and I, I know, like, look, we, we can see all the screens in your background. It's uh, not only are you always busy as a trader, but you're really busy. Um, talk to us a little bit about what you see going on in the markets. From what I understand, the volumes are up pretty significantly. It might be surprising to some, but this is six out of seven days in a row higher for, I think, the S&P. Yeah, it's, it's been it's been a welcome. That's been the one the weird part of 2022. There's obviously been we've seen a lot of outsized, you know, you know, outsized volatility in terms of major swings in the indices and, and stocks under the hood um, for various reasons. The VIX is, is kind of going over the place with with, you know, obviously with the Russian, you know, Russian Ukraine situation kind of ticking off the last, you know, kind of big, big kind of catalyst. Um, but pockets of this year, it's been very, volume has been very well below average, uh, really up until recently. And that's kind of been another poor liquidity, you know, buy sides, you know, terrible liquidity. That's been one, the number one source of frustration for a lot of investors all year. Um, and guys obviously came into this year, at least the tech dedicated, you know, long, short hedge fund managers positioned wrong. You know, people thought, you know, that the high flying growth, especially the software names would, would would see a little bit mean reversion to start the calendar year. And if you look back, remember the first week of January, you know, tech got absolutely killed. I mean, there was a long list of names down 10 to 15% just in that first week of January alone. And, and it's really, I, I preface that only because it, this year has really been a, it's been about fund managers managing their positions more than anything versus looking for new ideas. And, and guys have been really just playing behind the eight ball from, from pretty much day one. I think it was January 3rd was that first Monday. And that's, and, and then again, with, with the, 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 the inconsistency of liquidity and volumes on any given day, that's just kind of been another layer, layer of frustration for, for the investment world. Yeah. Well, I think too, when you, when you talk about just managing your positions um, versus essentially looking for new names, you know, I think a lot of our viewers who have portfolios of their own are saying, that, well, what does that even mean? How do you even do it? And especially since we, I think we know that a lot of the hedge fund players and tech players have, um, have been, you know, severely underperforming the broader market. So, I mean, are they even doing it well? What do we even need to talk about as it relates to managing your own risk portfolio? I mean, it really depends on, on the fund and what kind of strategy they're running. So the multi-strat, you know, the larger, you know, kind of hedge fund managers, they've had the, they, the affordability to kind of, yeah, they can, maybe their long short, long short strategy is not performing well, but maybe the macro book is doing well. So they're doing well, but it's been more the dedicated, the growth momentum strategy type of guys that are obviously look like, you know, you know, nothing could go wrong for the most part of the better part of the past five years, especially since we kind of, you know, we saw peak COVID in 2020, you know, every dip was bought consistently. Well, that, that, those have been where, where guys have struggling the most. And, and what I'm hearing about, obviously I don't, I don't 
have firsthand knowledge of it, but something for you to keep an eye on as well, is really kind of what transpires in the private market as 2020 goes along. Um, you know, because again, you know, name like Databricks, you know, has been one of the most highly anticipated, you know, companies still in the private world. I think their last valuation was last summer around $38 billion. Well, where is that right now? Um, you know, 20 billion. 15 billion, 20. I mean, it really, that's where you can see the, the, the pain start to, to even amplify is in the mm -hmm. private side of thing where valuations were just, you know, just getting again, way, over, way ahead of themselves. And I think, you know, we, we woke up this week, we had a deal, an M&A deal within the, in the software space, uh, you know, private equity firm, Tom Bravo bought Anaplan, I think about 13 times sales, $66 a share. Why that's very interesting to me is because Anaplan's peak COVID price was around $86. So what is that telling you that management within 12 months is willing to take an offer 23 percent below peak share price at a much lower valuation? It's clearly they, they came there of many they've came to the realization that's as good as it's going to get, and mm -hmm. that's you really still want to be cautious in the higher flying pockets of the market. We're going to see short squeezes. We're seeing it right now with in the Kathy Wood universe, um, but I think guys be very cautious about going you know head first. Uh, especially as as I think we've already seen, you know, half of the, the world's central banks have already cut rates recently, and we know we're in a, a tightening cycle. So I, I, I don't see how that's going to remain a very choppy, difficult trade to navigate, at least for the near term. Wait, let me just uh, clarify. Half of the world's central bankers have cut rates or raised rates? Raised rates. Sorry. My, okay. my, yeah, other than China. So I, the irony is, other than China... Who's well? They didn't. They didn't cut their lending rate on Sunday evening, which, which bulls were hoping for. But yeah, every, sorry, every every other central bank's pretty much in the in the tightening mode. So again, that's the limit. That, you know, valuations to a certain degree, and I think it's it's going to be very rare where we look at within tech and see a long list of companies trading north of twenty five times sales. I think just back in November there was like thirty to forty of them. Mm -hmm. I think right about now there's maybe mid single digits at best. Hmm. So do you, but so then that can also lend itself as to why we're actually seeing a rally today and why there might be just also some real buying. You would know better than me because you're sitting on the institutional trading desk. Um, excuse me, real buying versus just a short squeeze. In other, in other words, we've already had enough of a drawdown. People yep. know that we're in a rate tightening mode. Um, there is maybe some confidence that Fed Chair Jerome Powell will walk that line well. And, you know, the statement last week was taken away as hawkish. Um, but he also continues to say, look, we're going to be nimble. We don't have to raise rates at every meeting. To me, that's, I don't want to say that's dovish, but it's at least recognizing that we're going to do what it takes when we think it, you know, we need to do it and, and we're able to do it because of the Ukraine-Russia uh, war. So um, in other words, is the worst behind us? We've seen a drawdown and almost at historical levels when we've seen previous wars going back 60 years. Yeah, I think what, what, what I'm most concerned about, well, actually, let's, let's talk back this about flows, where's money going? So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bank of America had their, their, their monthly fund manager survey out, I want to believe last week it came out, and what really jumps out, cash balances were the highest they've been since peak COVID, March 2020, at 5.9%. And lo and behold, there was a three or four day stretch, you know, last week. Um, where my, my flows on my desk, were, I mean, we're obviously a smaller player here at Webbush, but you know, it's usually similar across the street, you know, over two to one better to buy. You're seeing real money going back to work, but it's it's not just kind of like we we saw maybe during 2020 or even prior, where everyone just kind of jumped headfirst into tech. Guys are being a lot more selective. There's been a large cap tilt to that. Um, so whether it's been in Microsoft, you know, Alphabet, Apple, 
Um, you know, names that have a def, you know great business models, obviously defensible moats have been built around them and by balance sheets that, that are just kind of the best on planet earth. And that's kind mm -hmm. of where you're seeing the flight, the quality, it's never been more true in this kind of difficult market. And I look at applied materials as a semi-equipment name, ASML, um, they're pretty much, a, a, you know, the only company on the, on the earth that can, you know, pr produces these really um, uh, leading edge tools to make the most comp complex chips that are out there. Um, so there's definitely that tilt, guys going towards large cap, um, and, and again, not going for the, the hyper growth names, like the Kathy Wood type of stocks. Um, mm -hmm. Just be a lot more selective with those names, whereas, yeah, money's going back to work and in, in, in higher quality names names out there. Mm -hmm. um, just describe um, Kathy Wood and Kathy Wood's names for anybody who doesn't know. Yeah, so I mean, she obviously came to fame. I mean, I, I guess, you know, not, not she was, you know, pretty much known as kind of a rogue kind of renegade, I think, in her in, in, the, in the 2010s when she was, I think, Alliance Bernstein. Um, and then she became, she was kind of like a, a very outspoken bull on disruptive tech. And she was very early on, on EV, namely Tesla. Um, she was big in names like Zoom early on, DocuSign. And you know, the media played along with it. I mean, if you rewind 12 months, maybe 15 months, she was like, she got to a cult status, you know, on CNBC, she would get a lot of, a lot of attention in Barron's or whatever it may be. And, and if you look back at inflows of her, her ETF, you know, products, they peaked Q1 of last year. And that's usually what happens, right? And then I think, you know, since then I've fallen 50 to 60%, maybe a little bit more off her highs. And, and where I struggle with her is, I, I think there's really, she's just kind of a, she'll be a case study to some degree in business schools at some point, at least from an investment talking point of view, because there's yeah. a risk. There was no really risk process in place. Like I get it. If you like zoom two years ago and you were early to story, or even if you bought it on that first 30 to 40% move and you still thought, you know, you had you know, remote learning as a tailwind businesses, still small and medium sized businesses were still getting up the kind of, you know, getting up to speed on, on, on working remotely, but again, when everything, you know, started to reverse and the return world returned to normal, she just continued to double down and average down on these bets, and that yeah. never works. Yeah, maybe every now and then, but I, but again, when you have companies that benefited from a once in a century event, and it led to this really funky kind of valuation, you know, you know, the gap that kind of we we saw not that long ago, and mm -hmm. to the day she bought Twitter. You know, a couple quarters ago on a blow up, and then she sold it lower. She bought DocuSign when they blew up back in November. I think the stock was trading around 145. Then she sold it at 110. Like it just mm -hmm. didn't. Again, no, no really thought process, no risk management, and that's kind of what always was a little baffling to me. At some point, how do you how do you keep on? You know, how are you holding these stocks when the world's telling you something else is going on, and the price action is telling you something going on? And so you know, we, yeah, and and, and um, that's a good point to pick up on as well. Like, you, to pay attention to the price action, you know, versus what you want to happen or what you think sometimes are the fundamentals. The fundamentals might always be the fundamentals, but you have to also pay attention to the price action in terms of where you want to step in and where you want to sell. Um, but Joel, looking forward then, um, given, you know, and I think your, your take is going to be that there are just so many uncertainties. Um, maybe describe how you view those uncertainties, but perhaps more importantly, um, what themes do you want to play right now? What stocks do you want to play? Yeah, I mean, within within tech, I mean, uh, you know, I work with a guy named Dan Ives. He's a, a media legend, legend as well. So I got to give, give him credit. He's worth lis listening to. And I mean, he's been very vocal on cybersecurity. And uh, I, I think 
where I know I know Congress they passed a new new some new legislation earlier this month as well, and I think it's really going to force companies that un, always underinvested in security now they have to. Um, that's going to be put that's that's going to be put in law where these companies have to you know implement and higher higher percentage of their revenues on security. You know, in the past it was always a, t- a good talking point. It sounded good on a conference call. You know, Zuckerberg was notorious for it. Yeah, we're going to spend you know, so much money on security, then lo and behold, they, they never really increased their budget as the revenues, you know, kept on ballooning. So it just kind of stayed, you know, ended up becoming a smaller portion of, 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 of their, of their, you know, their revs. Um, but security, I mean, I think that there was massive growth prior to this Russian-Ukraine, you know, escalation. And I think it's a, it's a harsh reality of the world we live in. You know, cyber warfare is one of the, probably the, one of the most advantageous tools a, a country can use versus it's some of its enemies. Um, and I just don't see this going away. Um, so I look at names like Palo Alto um, as a large cap name. You know, their recent numbers were fantastic. And then moving down to like identity names like SailPoint, Qualys, you know, again, and, and they're not crazy expensive as well. So again, you're staying away from that Cathwood hyper growth, you know, super expensive software kind of, you know, sphere and sticking to names that are a little bit more reasonably valued as well to some degree. But mm-hmm. just, the fundamentals remain rock solid. And so, Joel, just to be really clear here as well, because yes, for years, and I've interviewed some of these CEOs of cybersecurity companies, we talked to analysts talking about cybersecurity stocks, yep. um, and, and where the budgets were always going to grow. Um, so the nuance or the change here is what is going on in Congress. Yep. Can, can you just describe that a little bit more in terms of the timing and whether or not this is something that will get passed? It has not been passed, correct? It's it's a bipartisan issue. So I mean, I, I think there's people, you know, everyone, guys on both sides of, of the aisle are, are very adamant in, in pushing and getting the bill through. And in, from everything I've heard, the checks from from DC, at least from 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 our guys, that it's going to get passed. Um, and I think, again, the Russian Ukraine situation has kind of elevated to this is something that it needs to be done. Um, there's another another high, some semi I want to call it a high profile attack overnight, but funny enough, a cybersecurity company Okta. Um, they're, they're, they're the victim of an attack and they're one of the leaders out there in identity security management. Um, so mm-hmm. it just shows that there's, there's, it's, it's increasingly becoming sophisticated and, and governments have to invest in it. And like, like a lot of governments have, inve- have realized because of the supply chain mess, we need to start investing more in semiconductor manufacturing. The same going to, the same resources are going to be put towards security. So I don't think there's an actual time frame. you know, it's probably, and that's more of a longer theme. Um, as kind of as, as things evolve, we know it won't happen overnight in terms of companies, you know, spending. But we know it's it's what keeps CIOs up at night. Um, yeah. Are they- and so it, it would it would require companies to spend a certain percentage of the revenue, or I don't think that that those details haven't been kind of hammered okay. out. Um, but again, it's going to, what I read, I think from a, a couple of competitors' notes is, yeah, it's going going to force companies that have underspent on security. Yeah. It, they'll it'll pretty much just force them that they have to make you know spend. I don't know if it's a percentage or whatever that number may be. I don't yeah. think it's been decided yet, but it's not it's not going away. And I think, yeah. you know, let's hope that China doesn't escalate the situation in Taiwan. I don't think they will after seeing what's happened to Russia, given all the sanctions and the economic fallout from that. That'd be a, a mighty big gamble for, for China to make. Um, mm-hmm. And what would happen there? Um, just given, obviously, if the U.S. companies pull out of China, I mean, imagine the amount of jobs that would be lost overnight. If, if, if a company like Apple's, you know, had to, had, if U.S. placed sanctions and they had to leave China, 
it'd be yeah. potentially hundreds of thousands of jobs. The ripple effect would, would be catastrophic. Um, and that, yeah, that's a great point. And also, I, I believe that um, US, UK, and Europe accounts for 30% of China's exports. Yeah. So okay. that's, so that's I'm, I'm, I'm more hopeful that we won't see that situation kind of go to the next level. And then I think I think what Powell's going to, you know, and what makes it difficult to get overly bullish on tech, I think clearly we've seen a, you know, a technicals have played a big part in this recent bounce. I think the Nasdaq's now 12% off the lows in just over a week. And we know where sentiment was very gloomy, deeply sold prices. And, and here we go. A, co a couple, you know, catalysts that have come, the Fed event viewed as Fed was viewed as a clearing event. Um, mm -hmm. Let's just go do it. Sorry. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> And, and it's kind of led to this type of move that we're seeing. And again, it's, it hasn't just been short covering. It's been obviously real money being put to work as well. Um, but again, I think the upside is going to be someone, someone limited because of, you know, um, my, I'm more fear, fearful of inflationary pressures. You know, obviously everyone's talking about, you know, wheat, uh, the price of oil, you know, food and fertilizer are going parabolic. And I think that's what kind of worries me. Listening to some like an interesting podcast and some smart mm -hmm people, you know, how farmers are going to have to cut back and how much acres they can plant just because they can't afford for the fertilizer. Um, right. What's, how does that, how does that impact may not, may not impact us here in North America to some degree, but how does it impact, you know, you know, Middle East or, 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 or in Africa or, or mm -hmm. different parts of Europe. And, and we know when, when I think the Arab spring, you know, the wheat crisis was one of the kind of, you know, part of the factors that led to the Arab, Arab spring, not that long ago. Mm -hmm. um, People, people can't get food. It leads to kind of, uh, unfortunately, pretty catastrophic things. So I don't want to sound too gloom and doom. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I think it's going to be very difficult for Powell to kind of do a, a 180 um, in terms of his, his policy. Like we saw in early 2019, after some of his more hawkish um, you know, policy measures that he, he did in Q4 of, of, of the prior year. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I'm looking at. You know, even if the situation, the ceasefire war was to end today, it still feels like there's going to be some lingering um, supply chain headaches. Even Volvo today, um, who had been very constructive on improving supply chain, they just said a couple hours ago, supply chain semi shortages have, have gotten worse over the past couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so the bottlenecks aren't really improving. And I think what we saw last quarter, especially in technology, it impacted not only margins, but also top line. And so is, is, does some of this stuff start impacting, you know, further impact demand destruction? Um, from a consumer point of view as well. Yeah, it, it seems as though that certain areas of certain pockets and very small pockets and, and the, uh, you know, the choice in terms of looking at stocks or the, you know, um, the opportunity set is, is getting smaller and smaller, but in the cybersecurity space, that's one area where you're actually starting to be able to see some price increases. And, you know, we, we might see companies, whether it's consumer staples or what have you, be able to increase their prices, but then of course their input costs are increasing as, as well. And you, you, you know, you can liken that to the farmers as well. They might yep. be able to poor, but they can't afford the input costs of the fertilizer or what have you. So it's a bit of a vicious circle. Back to your point about Fed Chair Jerome Powell, when we went back to, I guess, I don't, I, you know, my goodness, these years have flown by, but if it was 2018, um, when he became a little bit more hawkish, he was able to reverse it then. The difference though now, Joel, is potentially that, and you know, there's no change between then when it was President Trump or President Biden, but, but you know, it can become a bit of a political issue. And, you know, with the midterm elections coming up, no president wants to see sky high inflation. Yeah. And the view, of course, is if you raise rates, you can combat inflation by decreasing the demand up there. But, but people seem to forget that 
um, that governments around the world have just put trillions of dollars in consumers' pockets. It's not that people earn this money, it was just given. And, and so that's why we're able to see so many people purchase things that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise purchased. And yep. that's also part of the inflation equation. It's not just oil. Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and, and I look at Roku, you know, Roku is obviously a poster child for a, a work from home, you know, pandemic winner. Um, and I thought their CEO, who, who's a very smart guy, he said it best on the last earnings call. He, he came out and said it straight up. He, he, he said, he was very honest. He said, we over-earned in, in 2021. You know, we, COVID, we, we, you know, COVID led to demand accelerating. Most companies, because of the shock of the situation, reduced spending almost immediately, cut back their workforce. And then you had obviously multiple multiples went parabolic because of all the stimulus that was thrown at the, at the global economies, all three and it, all three of those forces are in complete reverse. So that's why the next earnings season is going to be very, very interesting. Um, mm. And I think obviously, as I mentioned earlier, how how especially you know guys I talk to in, in, in the TMT kind of tech kind of universe have been playing defense from from day one of, of this calendar year um, is it, and I think that's kind of uh, it's what we've seen that. You know, the, the, this year also saw the biggest gap in growth versus value performance since 1995, and it has been. We've seen some mean reversion there, you know, obviously in the past week as well. But I think, I think, I think you're 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 seeing for the first time in a long time. There's other there's other sectors that are a lot more attractive to to guys running money than just having to pile all their money in tech and being fearful of underperforming the bench. Um, and right. I think that could, could limit the upside to tech. At least in the near term. Again, let's hope. Let's hope in six months things are a little bit more clear, a lot less uncertainty regarding inflationary pressures and things like that. And then, and then, but again, it seems like at least in the near term things are going to be very just kind of a back and forth chop to say the least. Got it. Um, okay, so you gave us three ideas within the cybersecurity space: um, SailPoint, Qualysis, and Palo Alto Network. Yep. Um, you talked about AMAT, right? Like liking AMAT. So I'll, yeah, I mentioned AMAT actually. So a ASML is probably my my still oh, my yes. top okay. semiconductor pick. They're, a does, they like I said earlier, they are the only company in the world that produces these tools um, that can actually manufacture you know leading edge chip, chips. So that's you know three nanometer, which is not yet really impressive, but four nanometer, five nanometer, seven nanometer, which again is what all of our phones are powered, all of our, our devices are powered on pretty much. So that's for artificial intelligence as well. Um, you know, obviously, you know, for, for GPUs, um, just really, again, uh, high, high performance computing. Um, they are literally the only company that can provide these tools. So, you know, their biggest risk then is obviously something were to happen to China and they can no longer ship to their Chinese clients. Uh, but again, they built a defensible moat. No one, no one can do what they do. Um, and again, it's a rock, rock sheet as well. And then again, you know, going down the chain name like Applied Materials, you know, they, they benefit from obviously you're not seeing chip makers slow their spending because um, there's still an arms race to dominate AI, 5G and high performance computing. And then, as I mentioned earlier in the show as well, we know that both the U.S. and Europe are, are finally for the first time in a, what, probably a long, long time are really realizing because of all the supply disruptions. Why are all the world's, you know, pretty much the bulk of the world's fab facilities based in Taiwan? You know, how can we put these in, 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 in add more in Europe and add more man manufacturing capabilities in the United States as well? So um, you have to equip these 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 plants. Now that could be a decade long type of uh, you know phase. So yeah. Again, once it's in motion, 
it's 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 going to be a tailwind, continued tailwind. For, for some of these companies within the chip sector, semiconductor. So, Joel, okay, last thing here, we'll, we'll wrap it, but what about NVIDIA? Yeah, so they're having their analyst meeting right now. Um, and again, another name, we actually downgraded the stock last November, and I'll give our, my analyst credit. You know, he downgraded simply on valuation, you know, obviously downgrading one of the, the, you know, at the time, remember November, we were still in the midst of a secular bull market and tech could do no wrong. And and eventually he just took a step back and said, this valuation has got a little bit crazy. And, and it had, um, mm-hmm. stock was up, God, I think it had a hundred percent rally at one point from its September lows to its November peak, just really didn't, you know, in the story, it was like a well-known under the radar story, but retail was really involved with it with, with kind of short dated call option activity. Um, but yeah, they're having an analyst meeting right now. They're, they're introducing some new CPU architecture. There's a focus on the new GPUs. It's still one of the best companies on planet earth. Um, so again, if you're comfortable with the valuation, that's the biggest risk is, 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 is valuation. Um, but in terms of management team, what they're doing in terms of benefiting from, from continued you know, um, demand from the gaming vertical, data mm-hmm. center, um, again, it's still a great company. I actually prefer, I, I prefer AMD, I think it's cheaper. Um, and, and, and again, still, I think Lisa Sue is probably the best CEO at the moment in tech, if not at least the semiconductor space. Um, yeah. What they're able to do and turn that company around. And, and I think the AMD story is a little bit more A because of, it's not, again, not valuation is not as crazy and it's still just a simple market share gain story. And, and I see them continue to benefit for at least the next two to three years as Intel's trying to close that technology gap. Um, but it still seems like it's years away from being, being relevant again. Yeah. AMD over Intel. Oh, all day, yep. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. All right, Joel, we'll leave it there. Great to see you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Yes, we'll speak soon. Thanks. Take care. Bye.